Hello, I'm Greg. Let's have an inappropriate conversation about qualifications to be president. What should the electorate look for in the people they're casting their votes to? Let's consider this a happy Independence Day to my fellow Americans, but I don't think this question of qualifications for a position like president is limited to just Americans. Perhaps anywhere in the Western world where we believe that we are freely casting a vote for the person and uh, through that vote choosing our leader, this question of qualifications comes up. But first, I've got a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a disappointment to express, and it it can be summed up in this way. July 4th is Independence Day weekend in the United States of America, but unfortunately, the 4th of July has become an equally good description for this particular holiday. What I mean by that is that more and more, Independence Day is becoming less and less about our country and just a big summer fun weekend. Perhaps the funniest example that I've seen in recent years about this is a, a very recent Bud Light ad. I've criticized Bud Light as a product before, uh, calling it, I think, a soft drink, which I still stand by. If you're going to consume the calories represented by beer, if you're going to take on the risk of uh, alcohol-related impairment from beer, you might as well do it with a real beer. However, this recent 4th of July or Independence Day ad in their Here We Go series is very funny. And if you haven't seen it, because I'm not sure that this is going to show worldwide, it's targeted to a particularly American audience, it has a, uh, an afternoon celebration going on, sort of a big picnic, kind of a, a big outdoor party with a lot of colonial American types. So you've got Benjamin Franklin and you know, a few others, you know, maybe James Madison. They're having a chat about the, the party. And one of them says, hey, uh, where's, uh, where's Jefferson at? Where's Thomas Jefferson at? And the other one, using air quotes in a very sarcastic tone of voice, says, he's still working on that declaration. You know, so he's not going to join our party. He's got this other thing he's doing, this declaring independence from Britain thing or whatever it is, as if it's a trivial waste of time. But no sooner does he say that than a horse-drawn carriage shows up with Thomas Jefferson sitting in the back. He stands up holding a six-pack of Bud Light in each hand and says, here we go, and the party begins. And as a result of the drunken revelry that they sort of show, uh, someone accidentally fires a cannon in the air. It looks more like Fourth of July fireworks. And one of the other uh, colonial leaders says, hey, we should do this thing every Fourth of July. You know, it's sad to say, but we're almost in that state right now. Now, I referred to myself as a creature from another planet before, and one of the reasons that I feel that way is that I take this whole American thing pretty seriously, and I don't understand why I'm out of step in some ways with so many other Americans who, you know, every four years profess to be patriotic, but on the years in between could care less what's going on, that sort of thing. So we take our presidential election process seriously. We take our political process from the perspective of who is in Washington, D.C. seriously. But I'm not sure that we are very good anymore about taking America seriously. And if you were a creature from another planet, landed here in the United States, reading the words about our history, hearing the rhetoric on our television shows, particularly our TV political talk shows, and then looking at the attitude of the average citizen, you'd be very confused. I don't think any of it would make much sense to you. The other idea that I've expressed before, and I've actually, I've gotten pushback, not just from my uh, immediate family, but also from my extended family. 
They don't like this concept that I've expressed before, that I feel like I'm the black sheep of pretty much every family I've ever been a part of. And I'm going to describe a few things here as we talk about this concept of qualifications to be president. And what I want you to do is I want you to think about whether or not those qualifications that I'm going to express, even as, as my own qualifications, whether those can be isolated in such a way that you know anybody in your family who fits that description. Because I may have other people in my family who fit that description, but in some ways we're kind of embarrassed enough about it that we don't even discuss it if it's true. My guess is that you know the, the qualities that I'm going to list out, qualities that I think most Americans pretend are important every four years, are isolating enough that if you could describe yourself in exactly those ways, you would be completely unique. You would be a stranger in a strange land, even if that strange land is your own family. Now, I'm going to describe these qualities, and as you listen to them, I think you're going to be a little surprised, maybe, somewhat shocked even, at how innocent they are, for want of a better word. But it doesn't make any sense to turn and say, well, that person's the white sheep of his family. So if you look at black from the perspective of being not innocent or not good, which I think is a horribly racist concept, by the way, or you look at white as the perspective of as being, you know, white means, well, pure as snow, uh, good, all that, that misses the point. The idea in the sheep world is that white sheep is by far more common and black sheep is more unusual. And that's kind of what I'm shooting for when I describe myself as the black sheep. It means I'm out of step. And I'm okay being out of step. I may not be quite as out of step as Ian Mackay, the lead singer of uh, Minor Threat and Fugazi, who doesn't drink, doesn't use illegal drugs, doesn't have, doesn't have sex with groupies, doesn't even allow beer advertisers to sponsor his shows. Um, the straight edge sort of punk music. Straight edge punk is about as out of step as you could possibly be in the realm of punk rock music. And uh, even though he does cuss, so you know, don't get excited about this. If you're, if you're a contemporary Christian music fan and you'd like to you know, dive into minor threat, I think you're going to be a little bit disappointed. However, the difference is that I think that it's probably sensible to say that minor, a band like Minor Threat is the black sheep of punk rock music. Because in that movement... Everything else is otherwise what you might describe with a color. I don't know what color you'd use for it. Purple, black. But if they're out of step, what do you call them? Calling me the white sheep of my family doesn't make any sense because my family is uh, pretty much on the uh, white sheep side of the flock already. So having said that, uh, let me set this up and, and talk about the character debate. Again, if you're not American and you don't have a, a reminder of this every four years, let me try to cast you to a point where you can understand it. If you're not thinking about the uh, U.S. presidential elections in 1992 or 1996, you could just as easily think about the kind of arguments about character that came up in the latter part of the Clinton presidency, where in 1995 through 1999, we had our you know, little uh, governmental investigation and uh, trying to get underneath the covers of Clinton's character and actually had an impeachment process over the fact that he wasn't as, as much the white sheep as we hoped he would be. I'm not sure I understood all that. Or even the character debate that kind of crops up whenever we do an election now. It's those kind of things that I'm looking for. So you know, every four years when all this election talk uh, turns to character and starts getting really out of control, I get a reminder that in some ways I am the ideal presidential candidate. Oh, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. As we've established before, I'm no angel. I'm not sure that I would want to cast a vote for somebody who's taped a date. Um, and if you're not familiar with that, I introduced the author in the second show. Uh, on the other hand, if you're just ticking off items on a checklist, if what the person is really like is unimportant to you, and all that's really important to you is that I've got a list of qualifications, I've got a list of, of pet moral qualities, and this person meets them all, 
then you're good to go. That is one of the ways that Hitler came to power, by the way. Um, but that's a different topic altogether. So I guess to, to begin to set it up pretty quickly, I'm going to go through this list a couple of times. Now, first I'm going to go through it. I'm going to tell you a little bit about me, some things you may not know, actually. And then I'm going to go back through the list and kind of talk about, kind of talk about why maybe I think that it's a bad list to have. So to give you a quick uh, advanced synopsis, Am I a Protestant Christian who is active in his church? Check. Am I a faithful husband and father? Check. Have I consistently and persistently avoided any illegal drug use? Check. Have I avoided and resisted any temptation to burn an American flag in protest? Check. Okay, there you go. You know, uh, I would be very surprised if based on that list I wasn't getting phone calls right and left from both political parties trying to line up somebody that they think is, quote, electable, unquote. But... I have my own reasons, call it a different checklist, or a different viewpoint on this checklist, to think that I'm not the best person for the office of president at all. So as I go through this list here in a second, please don't confuse it with me campaigning. I'm not. So let's start with perhaps one of the ones that uh, is strangely important in America. Am I a Protestant Christian who is active in his church? Okay, well, not, not that we haven't elected Catholics before. And it's not that we haven't represented a variety of Protestant denominations before, but it does seem in many ways that if you're not a Protestant Christian, the odds of you becoming president of the United States are pretty slim. If you're not at least a Catholic or Eastern Orthodox believer, your chances get much more slim. And if you're Jewish or perhaps even Muslim, your chances might be better than if you're an atheist. It's an odd thing about America, but luckily what America really wants is they want somebody who goes to church every Sunday and who goes to a Protestant church every Sunday, and I'm that man. Okay, never used an illegal drug. I got one on Bill Clinton, and it's a, it's a weird way to be have one up on Bill Clinton, because here, here's the way. <clears throat> I've never used an illegal drug. So unlike Bill Clinton, who has technically used an illegal drug, but I didn't inhale, I've never used an illegal drug inhaled or not inhaled. I've never used an illegal drug swallowed or not swallowed. You know, the only needles that have been stuck in me have been stuck in me by a doctor or a nurse following doctor's orders. I've taken prescription medication, and I've tried my very best to follow the directions of those prescriptions. And I've used alcohol, but I've never used an illegal drug. Now, ironically, I have inhaled, because I don't know how you go to a Yes concert and not inhale. You know, you can't just hold your breath for two and a half hours. They put on a good long show, but that's a different matter altogether. I've never burned an American flag. I have never been in the room when someone burned an American flag. Of course, hopefully they're not indoor. I've never been in an outdoor event where somebody burned an American flag. I've been angry and I've protested, but yeah, that's just never been an element of it. I know the words to the Pledge of Allegiance, and I know all the words, including two that seem to be controversial for, for some reason. I know the words to the National Anthem. I know the words to the Declaration of Independence, but not memorized. And I certainly recognize the Constitution when I hear it. One of the things that I carry around on my MP3 player is the U.S. Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. It's not, it's not something I put on shuffle, but it's there. From a work perspective, I have changed jobs. I have moved to, from one city to another when I didn't have a job, when it was the right thing to do for my family. But I've never been on unemployment. We'll talk uh, whether that's a good character trait or not, but it's a fact. From a family perspective... I am married with kids. In fact, we probably couldn't be more nuclear. We've been married for a very long time. We have two kids, one son, one daughter, so one of each. We have two pets, one dog, one cat, so kind of one of each. And we live in a house in kind of a, 
a small city that's not you know right in the heart of a big city. So we're not inner city people, but we're also not necessarily suburbanites because instead of having fled the inner city to move to a su- suburb of that standard metropolitan statistical area, we've always kind of lived just outside the the metro area because we prefer that kind of mix of small town and city life. So uh, we're pretty much we're pretty much no- uh, average, typical. When you think of well, what's normal American, what's normal Midwestern American anyway, you know, there you go. I'm a heterosexual. It's odd that that's an important qualification, but I understand why it is. More important, perhaps, or at least allegedly more important, we'll get to the allegation part of it in a minute, I am monogamous. Not just casually monogamous, not just serially monogamous, not just monogamous from the perspective of it's good to be married because people want to elect a president who's got a first lady and they want to know that the first lady is a good first lady. Not, not that at all. I am what I would might describe as extreme monogamy. In other words, I have had one sexual relationship in this lifetime. It's not just that I haven't been divorced. I don't even have a more regular, normal, typical kind of baggage behind this marriage relationship that I'm in. I've never been convicted of a felony, never committed one to my knowledge, not guilty of the kinds of misdemeanors that you would have to fill out on a, on a job application. I've had some traffic tickets. You know, again, that's who I am. We'll talk a little bit about maybe, maybe I'm not the ideal candidate because maybe the ideal candidate wouldn't even have a traffic ticket. So there you go. My credentials are starting to suffer. The only trip I've ever made into a prison was either in a, like junior high school as an educational kind of a school trip to the county courthouse and the county jail, or to go back into the prison voluntarily as part of prison ministry, you know, to do pr- uh, prison outreach, to uh, share food and Bibles and so forth. I've done that. I believe that current events are crucial, and I know that I don't know all I need to know. Now, this is very important because this is a character trait that's a good one for a presidential candidate, and it distinguishes me from all of the Palinites out there. Instead of thinking that current events are nice but not crucial, or feeling like I know enough current events or I've got a bead on things when maybe I don't, I'm not trying to fool anybody here. Current events are critically important, but I don't know all I need to know about them. And uh, the last one, which really I think, when we start talking in a minute about why these qualifications, although otherwise really good perhaps, or at least good if you're like a conservative, older generation person who's looking for the right kind of man to be in that office. Which ones of these qualifications disqualify you? Well, here's one right up front. I tell people the truth, even truths they don't want to hear. Uh-oh, there's a bad trait. Well, let's go back through this list and see if there's any more bad traits. Because I'm pretty sure what we're going to find is the list of traits that I've offered here. It's going to be, I think, obviously, if you look at it from the perspective of everything we as a nation, everything as conservatives in this country said was wrong with Bill Clinton, I got a lot of those things right here. I'm in pretty good shape. However, I don't believe that we believe this set of qualifications, if met perfectly, represents the ideal candidate at all. That it probably doesn't, it doesn't measure up. And I want to start with a quick concept, and that's to say that what was the, to ask the question, what was the biggest problem with Ross Perot in 1992 as a presidential candidate? Here's a guy who got a lot of votes, and he may have been responsible for putting in place some changes in the way we view American politics that led to Jesse Ventura becoming, uh, going from celebrity to governor of Minnesota. He changed the game a little bit, but his biggest problem, I think, was probably that the guy was a little bit weird. And as much as we would like somebody to 
to tick off all of the boxes that we've set up with all the qualifications we care about, I think if we actually found somebody who did, we'd find that person, man or woman, to be more than just a little bit weird, and we wouldn't vote for him. He would be, in my opinion, the black sheep of his political family. And even more so, I don't think he would get through the political process to even land in a primary, because these particular character traits would be an undoing for him. And let me start with the first one that I feel the most strongly and passionately about. Political parties in this country today do want Protestant Christians who actively attend their church, but they're not that interested in people who are active in their church. They need somebody who is so embroiled in the political process that they don't have time to reach out and do ministry. They don't have time to sit in committees and do the business of the church. They don't have time to stand up as a lay speaker and, and give a message when the pastor is out of town or doing continuing education. They don't have time to actually be a Christian. We do not want presidential candidates who live by faith. We want presidential candidates who live by image. And it really offends me. And it disqualifies me because my faith is too real and too genuine to navigate my way through the political process. When I talk to friends who are atheist or agnostic and, and express with dismay that you can't be an atheist or an agnostic and be the president of the United States, I just, I just smile and say, <laughs> you think that's true? I would bet you that most of these people who have campaigned on their Christian faith are in truth agnostic, if not atheist. They're saying whatever they've got to do to maintain the image they've got to maintain, to get the votes they've got to get. Um, and what does it matter to you if you're lying about something you don't really believe? If you're a Christian and you have to show up and lie about what you truly believe, because somebody with a true living faith, somebody who, who believes that the Holy Spirit is living inside him and giving him information and answering his questions and even providing, and even providing with necessary the words to say, I'm afraid we don't want that kind of person in, in the office. Our political parties in particular are much more comfortable if the only person telling that candidate what to do and what to say is them. Okay, never used an illegal drug. Well, let's be honest. Do you really trust somebody who has never experimented with an illegal drug? I mean, on one level I do, because I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't. But let me, let me word it this way. I'd prefer somebody who had the moral courage and integrity to just say no, but I'm very discouraged about somebody who has never, has never said no. See that distinction? It is one thing to have, to have moved in all of those social circles, to feel like you know the American people, that when you were in high school, when you were in college, you, you met as many people as you could, and you met a wide variety of folks, and, and you've seen people who've used illegal drugs. You've seen people using illegal drugs, perhaps. That's one thing. It's a different thing to pick somebody who's been cloistered and has never really met a real American and has a high-minded opinion of himself or herself based on the way they've done the clean living thing when they've never actually, you know, they've never actually dealt with the other folks. It's somewhat like the song by Pulp called Common People, you know, if you're that wealthy, you really can't have any good concept of what it's like to live from paycheck to paycheck and to genuinely be in destitute circumstances because whatever experimenting you may do hanging out with people in that part of town, it's not real. You know, you're a phone call and a cab ride away from being away from it all. So it's one thing to, to vote for somebody who's consistently said no, but it's crucial that that person has been presented with lots of opportunities to say no. And I'm pretty sure that we're not very comfortable with candidates. We would prefer a candidate who's never had to say no, and that's wrong. Never burn an American flag. Well, okay, I'm comfortable with that. I think that's probably a reasonably good description of who I am. 
And I think that probably people who spend a lot of time violently protesting our country and calling for the overthrow of our government might not actually be the ideal person to be the president. However, I will say this, and I'm going to say it from the heart, I'm going to mean it from the heart, and it's going to be controversial. Those people who know this code, those people who understand that we're not even talking about the American flag, we're talking about whether you're politically conservative enough, uh, are going to know, based on the words I use, that I've just told them I'm not their man. Because it really isn't about protecting the American flag. It really isn't about patriotism. It's really all about whether you share my point of view from the right side of the political spectrum. I would be very offended, very annoyed, and see the futility in the act of somebody burning an American flag during a political speech at an outdoor rally of some sort. But I would be much more offended and see it as much more dangerous if that same person, instead of burning a flag, ceremonially burned a copy of the U.S. Constitution. It's nice to know the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. It's good to know our national anthem, although I'm personally far more moved by America the Beautiful than I am the Star-Spangled Banner. But when you start talking about the Declaration of Independence, when you start talking about the United States Constitution, when you start talking about the Bill of Rights, when you start talking about the Federalist Papers, when you start talking about those kinds of documents, now I'm much more serious and now I'm much more offended. And it gets right back to the idea, that idea of living by faith versus living by image. Political parties seem to err on the side of picking people who are Christian in image but not truly by faith. Here's the same deal. If you get worked up over somebody burning a flag but not burning a copy of our Constitution, guess what? This is not even hard to figure out. You're obsessed with the image and not necessarily the substance. From a work perspective, where we really don't like unemployment, we really don't like our welfare system, and we really think the world of people who've never had to use it, and I think that insufficiently respects how important that safety net can be. And perhaps if you've never been in a situation where you've dealt with two or three months of uninterrupted unemployment, maybe you haven't taken enough chances in the way you manage your employment. Maybe you've settled. Maybe you've taken the path more traveled instead of the road less traveled. Just a question. Just a question. From a family perspective, yeah, I think it's, real, it's really a crime that in our country we do not take seriously people who especially from circumstances beyond their control, are single parents. We clearly have political candidates who are staying in marriages that are loveless, who are staying in marriages that are just a pretext, just a pretense, and aren't really serious. We have people getting married because they want to run for office when they really, frankly, shouldn't get married. And you see this in all of the scandals. The bottom line is, why is it that you can't have a president without a first lady, seemingly? Why is it that you can't have, you know, a person who's been single their whole life? One of the reasons you can't have a person who's been single his or her whole life is that the same kind of questions that are being directed right now toward a Supreme Court nominee, if not in Congress, at least out in the street, is if you're voluntarily single, we as a society assume you're gay. Well, that's an interesting assumption, not a particularly Christian assumption, I would say, because you're making proclamations about somebody that you don't have the facts to back up, and to get the facts you would need to back that up, you would actually have to, you'd have to actually violate your own personal ethics. You'd either have to seriously invade that person's privacy, or you'd have to know more about the uh, gay culture and gay lifestyle than you purport you do. But the bottom line is, why should that even be a determining factor? I don't understand why that's a qualifier. But I would bet, well, it seems if you read the headlines, that we've had politicians, if not in the presidency, at least in the Congress, who've gotten married only because they needed to have a wife to get elected, and not because they had any interest in a sexual relationship with a woman at all, if you're a man, or a man at all, if you're a woman. 
And I'm going to get to the truth question at the very end again here. Why do we want people who are lying to us? I don't understand. And if they're lying to themselves, that's even worse. We may say that we have a hard time trusting somebody who's never used an illegal drug, who hasn't lived enough, you know, hasn't committed that one of those misdemeanors and not just a traffic ticket, hasn't gone out and, you know, had a night on the town where he, he bought something he shouldn't have bought legally, did something he shouldn't have done, slept with somebody who wasn't his wife. We'd rather have somebody who's lived that life, right, who has that real life experience. But we're going to make them lie about it anyway. So what does it matter? Since I've gone there, the whole question of monogamy I've lived one sexual relationship in this lifetime. And I bet you that most people, when they heard that, hit three levels of suspicion right off the bat. First level of suspicion, that's BS. This guy's not telling me the truth. Second level of suspicion, okay, if he's telling me the truth, now I do believe that he is a creature from another planet because I don't think that's possible. I'm here to tell you it is possible, but I'm not going to talk about why on this show. The third thing is I don't think I want that person being my president because that person doesn't represent me. Hit the nail on the head there, haven't we? If we tick down every item on this list, if every one of these can be checked off in a way that would make your average voter as happy as they say they would be, if we call their bluff and say, hey, is this really what you want? You need a Protestant Christian who's never been on welfare, who's never been fired, who's never burned a flag, yada, yada, yada. Would we want that person or would that person be a creature from another planet? My guess is our qualifications to be president are completely inconsistent with what we really do when we get inside that voting booth. Just to quickly jump into the other ones, I kind of casually mentioned never had a felony. That's a good qualification. Only having a traffic ticket. Actually, I probably have the balance right here. I don't think that we want a lot of people who've, who've committed a life of crime and just gotten lucky because their crimes were petty enough. And I also think that we probably want people who have at least have had one kind of conversation with a police officer before. Where at least the police officers had to stop them and say, hey, don't be so rowdy. You're at a ball game, but it's still a public place. Or something. Some sort of corrective conversation with a law enforcement official I think would be a good thing if this person is going to presume to be the chief law enforcement official of our country. Uh, current events goes without saying. Listen, the bottom line is there's absolutely nothing folksy, homespun, or charming about willful ignorance. I am suspicious of people who presume to know everything but I'm equally suspicious of people who are comfortable knowing almost nothing. Last but not least, tell people the truth, even the truth that they don't want to hear. There are truths right now that President Barack Obama ought to be telling us that we don't want to hear. There are truths that uh, George Bush certainly, don't get me started, there's a pretty long list of truths that George Bush didn't tell us that we needed to hear. And frankly, I don't even think you can single those two guys out. Clinton was just as guilty. The previous Bush was just as guilty. Reagan was just as guilty. I take it all the way back to Carter. I give Gerald Ford some slack because of the length of time that he was in an office, the amount of information he had available, and the likelihood that he would be able to accomplish change anyway. But at least starting with Jimmy Carter, Jimmy Carter didn't realize he was a one-term president. If that man, smart as he was, had realized that this was his only shot, what would he have changed? What would he have done differently to say, hey, We've got this international problem. It's definitely distracting our attention. It is the red bouncing ball in my peripheral vision. What do I want to do over here that the country would otherwise be up in arms about that they may not even notice if they're worried about what's going on in the Middle East instead? So the American people need to hear some hard truths. Hard truths about the way we manage energy. Hard truths about our economy. 
hard truths about our assumption of what it means for two people to work and yet for there to be a traditional family, and what it means if two people didn't work anymore. What would it mean to our economy if one person stayed home and the other person went to work? I'm not making a gender distinction here. I don't care which one it is. But what would happen to our economy if we did? And why is our economy in you know, the new millennia different than what it was in the 1950s? These are hard questions, and those hard questions are going to have hard truths, and those hard truths are going to make you unelectable as president, because the number one qualification we're looking for in the president of the United States is someone who's going to tell us the right kind of lies, and that's an absolute unmitigated outrage. Masters of None. Log on to mastersofnoneshow.com. Our DJ name's real. 95% of them are completely fake. There's someone named Rusty Fender, traffic person. Ew. I'm Rusty Fender giving you the traffic. I really hope that that guy gets in a bus accident. Yeah. This would be ironic death. Now your name is Bloody Fender, <laughs> and you're causing the traffic. <laughs> okay, then you got people who just steal famous names, like George McFly, Jack Daniels, Maverick, and Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> what? <laughs> All right, I made the last one up. I made the last one up. It was just like an 18-year-old intern. Hi, everyone. I'm Ernest Borgnine. What? Anything with nice. You need those like those short-sounding names with that one, too. Chuck Nice. Jack Nice. Benjamin Nice really doesn't work. NPR trying to get edgy by trying to get some cool radio names going on. I'm Bartholomew Nice. Bartholomew. Nice to be here on NPR. <laughs> I will cite Wild Bill Shakespeare is an actual (laughs) radio name. That was actually a before and after puzzle on Wheel of Fortune. (laughs) (laughs) Masters of None. Email mastersofnone at simplysyndicated.com. On Twitter, Masters of None. And on Facebook, Masters of None. Yeah, so I'm not not your guy. Uh, I meet a lot of qualifications to be president. I've gone through them all. I won't talk about them again. Partly because it'll be a little bit like bragging in some cases, and partly because yeah, it's going to make you uncomfortable with me again to think that, well, there's, th- there's something wrong with this guy. You know, what, he's gone to those parties and never used the drugs? What's his problem? Um, is he, he criticized people who've never gone to those parties. So you need to go to those parties. You need to be in a position to say no. And if necessary, you need to say no to illegal drugs if that's, if that's the way you want to live your life. Didn't talk about the sex side of it, because I think I want to hold on to the moments in my life when I've said no there handle that as a completely different program, it's going to require an explicit tag. So instead, I want to turn my focus toward where's the good politics? If bad politics is what we're getting from Washington, D.C., if bad politics is what you hear every time a Republican or Democrat opens his mouth, if bad politics is what even happens at the grassroots local level, if every time my phone rings, and I know it's not a telemarketer because I've taken care of that problem, but I can't control whether it's one of these political types and I know I'm just going to get more, i got somebody who's lying to me, somebody who's manipulating me. My wife got a call the other day, and their first question was whether she was uh, pro-choice, pro-life, or undecided. And she gave an answer, and the phone call ended fairly quickly. And I told her, I said, well, you know, the reason for that is that if you'd answered the question one way, they would have asked you for a contribution. If you'd answered the question another way, they would have tried to change your mind. But you answered the question the way you did, they didn't want to speak to you at all. If the conversation you want to have with me is so scripted it couldn't possibly be inappropriate, I don't want to have that conversation with you. So who's having an inappropriate conversation out there on the question of politics? There's a lot of them. And if we look to the future toward a lot of future different drummers who haven't been named yet, we're going to see more and more of them as we go. But the one I want to cite today is a musician, a singer-songwriter type called Todd Snyder. 
okay, there's a couple of ways I could handle this different drummer this week, Todd Snyder. I could give you a quick bio, you know, born in Oregon, spent some time in California, Texas, currently lives in Tennessee. I could describe his musical style, which is a kind of a cross between alternative folk and Americana. Leans almost toward the country in some places, but certainly lyrically, I see him as an alternative artist with a folk playing style. He uses the harmonica, not just the acoustic guitar, and he shows up in concert as a one-man band. I could go on and talk about why he's good from a political perspective and turn this thing into a quote fest, and I'll do that just a little bit, just to give you a flavor of it. But I don't think it's necessary, because if you listen to his music, you're going to quickly get a better bio with more humor and more intelligence than I'm going to offer you. And if you listen to his music, you're going to get a much better sense of where he stands uh, on social and political issues. He's an outstanding observer of American society, and he offers criticisms that are absolutely hilarious. Even when he's expressing criticisms about things that represent my point of view, I'm smiling all the way through it. So he's got a Will Rogers quality to him. But to give you one quote, just to give you a sense of kind of where he's coming from, and a song that I think may be a good way to start, if you wanted to get a sense of where does Todd Snyder fall politically, how is it that I, that I view him as being essentially nonpartisan? Even though, obviously, if you take certain stands on issues, you're going to be viewed as partisan. It would be the live version of Tension from his album, Near Truths and Hotel Rooms. So Tension, a great, great song in general, but really a good song to hear live in concert. At some points during the song, kind of between the verses, he goes into almost a speaky, kind of talky style, uh, interacting with the audience. He even says in his, his live album, says when he comes into a concert, he may spend 18 minutes introducing a three-minute song. And he may tell you a story about how he thought of the song the first time he's in town. And if you see him later, the next time he's in town, he may tell you a totally different story about how he came up with the song. And uh, he's sorry about that. So great sense of humor, great honesty. Honest enough to be able to acknowledge when he himself has not been honest with himself. Qualities you're never going to find in a presidential candidate, by the way. The song Tension has a line in it where he talks about the war on drugs being fueled by tobacco and alcohol commissions. See, it's not what drugs you're using so much as whose. So he says the war on drugs focus is not so much on what drugs you're using, but on whose drugs you're using. Some drugs are just fine. And the proceeds from the tax benefits of those drugs are being used to define and oppress, perhaps, the, uh, the sale and the use of, of any other. So that's kind of his perspective on the war on drugs. Not inconsistent with mine. He does take it perhaps in a more liberal direction than I do. Likewise, in the same song, he talks about uh, not believing that rock and roll is the devil's music anymore and uh, that the tactics used by society, really, but it's particularly the church, to scare people into the church by talking about the evils of rock and roll doesn't work anymore, because that's not what scares people these days. So what does Todd Snyder say scares people these days? Republicans. That and uh, Democrats. And you know what? He's right. Both those groups uh, scare me to death as well. Instead, what I want to do is walk you through a Todd Snyder playlist. Now, if I had the ability or frankly the time and energy, to drop in song snips here and play them all to you, I would. I think it would be better, though. That this guy's got enough quality that a 20-second clip or a 25-second clip is not going to get the job done. You really need to hear the whole songs. And if this is a really boring and annoying thing, then I apologize. 
But what I really want to do for this particular different drummer, and it's different from what I've done for any other, and it's likely to be different from what I'm ever going to do again, is instead of telling you his life story, instead of describing in detail my relationship with his music, I'm going to bypass both of those steps, and I'm going to give you the 25 Todd Snyder songs that if you wanted to dip your foot or your leg, or really, this is a dive in. If you wanted to dive into Todd Snyder, here's how I'd recommend you do it. I'm going to do it by album, and I'm going to do it in the order that the albums appeared. And if I've skipped an album, it's not because I think it's a bad one. It's because I haven't heard it. Never fear, as you'll soon see, I've got a lot of Todd Snyder albums. His first album, at least his first commercially released one, Songs from the Daily Planet, and really the one that won me over. If I picked one Todd Snyder album to listen to today, it would either be the live album, or perhaps more likely, this one, Songs from the Daily Planet. Key tracks, Easy Money, All Right Guy, Trouble, a lot more, and somebody's coming. Easy Money sounds like a Rolling Stones song. All Right Guy is probably the quintessential what does Todd Snyder sound like kind of track. Uh, first single he released as well. Had to be cleaned up for MTV, in, in fact. Trouble was later turned into a country track by Mark Chestnut. It's Todd Snyder's song. And the last two, A Lot More and Somebody's Coming, religious songs. And much to my delight, religious songs that have not been necessarily popular in the church because they don't say Jesus at all, and they don't say God enough, but they're nevertheless obviously religious songs, and in fact, Somebody's Coming could not be more a Jesus song if uh, the lyrics were just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus over and over again. Step Right Up has 24 Hours a Day and the uh, studio version of Tension. I view this album as being probably less interesting than the first one, and since only, hence only a couple of tracks. Viva Satellite has Yesterdays and Used to Be's. I Can't Complain, Positively Negative, and Once He Finds Us. And again, you get a sense of the variety that he is capable of producing from a very simple acoustic folk song like I Can't Complain, also done very well on the live album, to a uh, kind of a Tom Petty-style growler in Positively Negative, a religious song in Once He Finds Us. And if I were running his record label... Yesterdays and Used to Be's would have been the first single from that release, and the fact that Viva Satellite was somewhat unsuccessful may have a lot to do with the fact that they just put the wrong singles on the radio. Happy to Be Here, um, first album of his after he went more independent in terms of his record label choices. Uh, the title track is great, Happy to Be Here, as is Lonely Girl, a song set in drug rehab. Very interesting from that perspective. And the ballad of Devil's Backbone Tavern. Now let me be very clear here. You're not going to be disappointed if you listen to the CD, Happy to Be Here, and the song, The Ballad of the Devil's Backbone Tavern, uh, in studio version. But it's much, much better live. In fact, he spends as much time introducing the song and interrupting the song as he does singing it. And you might think that'd be a bad quality in a live album, but you would be very wrong. From his next release, New Connection, title track again, New Connection. Todd Snyder did a good job in this era of his career picking good title tracks. Vinyl Records is a song that always makes me smile, sometimes makes me laugh. And Statistician's Blues always makes me laugh. His next release was the live album, the uh, live album Near Truths and Hotel Rooms. So I've already mentioned songs like Tension, I Can't Complain, uh, Devil's Backbone, Statistician's Blues. Those are on there, and uh, a couple of them have really great intros, where how he talks about his own song is really, really uh, an important part of the experience of understanding what Todd Snyder Live might be all about. Other tracks from Near Truths and Hotel Rooms, particularly where I like the live version better, uh, Long Year, Beer Run, and Broke. 
Now, if you've heard the Garth Brooks song called Beer Run, it's not the same song at all, although very similar in terms of tone. And the thing I like best about Broke is that he laughingly advertises it as being the Australian version of the song. There's one track from Todd Snyder's Best Of Collection that I'll recommend, his Best Of Collection called That Was Me. Normally, there'd be no point if I'm going through album by album with his releases and recommending songs to you that were on those albums. But this is a little bit different. Talking Seattle Grunge Rock Blues is probably Todd Snyder's best song. It's a bold, open-faced attack on the indie rock movement from the perspective of somebody who perhaps wanted to be an indie rock insider. And it's hilariously funny. It appears on the live album, and it's not a bad version there. It also appeared as a hidden track after Song 11 on his first album, Songs from the Daily Planet. But if you really wanted to go find a place where you could just buy that one track and get that one track isolated, I think the easiest way to do that is to go to That Was Me. The version there of Talking Seattle Grunge Rock Blues is the same version that was tacked on to the end of Songs from the Daily Planet. Finally, the last couple Todd Snyder albums I've bought, I you know don't feel like I'm in there enough. Uh, to me, I think the music critic job is an incredibly difficult one. Because with a movie, I can watch a movie one or two times and really get a sense that I've got a feel for both the context and the subtext that's involved there. But with music, there's so much going on that I feel like I have to listen to it a dozen times or more than a dozen times, maybe two dozen times, to almost build a relationship with the song in order to feel comfortable saying that I either accept it on its terms or reject it on its terms. So these last two albums, I don't know that I've spent enough time with them to kind of say that, yeah, here's, here's the only things that matter. There's probably a lot more good in there that I'm going to give those two releases credit for. And it's just a matter of how long I've had to get to know them. The Devil You Know has one track, though, that I think especially anybody who's not real fond of the last 10 years of American politics might want to hear, just because the last 10 years of American politics, you know, really need a little bit of lampooning every now and then. And the song called uh, You Got Away With It is really just hilariously on target. And the newest release from him, 2009's release, The Excitement Plan, has a few songs on it I really like and a few songs I really don't like. So I found it to be a bit of a mixed bag. But on the list of the ones that I really do like, Greencastle Blues, Money, Compliments, Publicity, uh, listed as song number 10, which is ironic. On, on my disc, it's actually the 11th track. And Bring Em Home. Now, my politics are not strongly anti-war protests. Uh, you know, I didn't live right in the middle of the Vietnam era, so I don't have that sense about it. And he's speaking about the current conflicts we have in the Middle East and in Asia as similar to that. And he's singing Bring Them Home from that perective. So if you've got a real um, this-is-the-next-Vietnam kind of mindset, I think the song Bring Them Home could really, really resonate with you. So there are 25 tracks from Todd Snyder that I would say are fantastic, well worth hearing. If you listen to those and you come away rejecting his music, then you gave it the old college try. The reason I'm recommending Todd Snyder as a different drummer is he is you know, one of the most politically and socially conscious singer-songwriters out there. In an era when a lot of people have sold out and gone more the, uh, the love song relationship route to try to, to not be controversial and land on the charts, Todd Snyder has, in my mind, probably with no doubt, lost gigs, lost record contracts, lost radio play, because he thought the very first and most important thing was to tell the truth, or at least to tell the near truths, and, and in so doing, to be true to himself. So 
it's not just these 25 songs that I'm mentioning. If you ever get a chance to see him live or to at least hear his concert or at least that live album, I think you'll know exactly what I mean. And perhaps you'll even agree with me that Todd Snyder is a different drummer. Once again, happy Independence Day to my fellow Americans. That's true whether you're celebrating it on the 4th of July or on the 5th of July this year, because after all, our bank holiday this this year is July 5th, the Monday. If you'd like to put some dialogue into this conversation yourself, or if you'd like to call BS on some of the things that I've said, perhaps uh, even when I was rattling through my particular set of qualifications, you think I'm lying to you, uh, you can contact me at ic underscore greg at hotmail.com and on the website, http colon slash slash inappropriateconversations.podbean.com, comments are enabled. I don't mind hearing from you, and I appreciate your listening. Thanks.